Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience, a podcast confronting current events, politics, comedy, and calamity, all from the perspective of a trans titaness. She's a verbal black belt, skilled in the art of roasting, the hellmouth, doomsayer, CEO of the Amazon position. Here's your host, Cameron Ellen Terrell. Welcome to Tranos and the Lived Experience. My name is Cameron Eileen Maharet Terrell, aka Tranos. Say that shit with your whole chest, or I'll sit on your birthday cake on my OnlyFans. This is Tranos and the Lived Experience, the show that smokes copious amounts of marijuana while trying to remain inside of their pants. I don't like pants. Um, today's episode is brought to you by the meeting of music and marijuana. Today's strain is Granddaddy Purple, a.k.a. Uh, uh, Perp Daddy, Grand Perp, GDP. Um, it was popularized back in 2003 by Ken Estes. Granddaddy Perp, or GDP, is a famous indica cross of Mendo Perps, Skunk, and Afghanistan. Uh, the California staple inherits a complex grape and berry aroma. And I'm just going to skip to the, the best part. It fucks you up. All right. And today's song inspiration is brought to you by Veruca Salt, and it is Volcano Girl. Uh, it is the gayest song of my youth, and it's gay for all the right reasons. Uh, today's episode is uh, Time is Relative, and I have a special guest with me. Please introduce yourself. I am the rabbit that makes you feel good at night. I am the vibrator. I am Emma Elizabeth, that's E.E. -E, like Cummings. Bon, that's bong without the G, because I certainly am not one. Oh my God, little sister, that was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. I I forgot. Like I love when you talk. Um, we have a history mm -hmm. uh, for all the fans listening. Uh, we have a history. Uh, we wrestled at the same place. Um, uh, Emma was uh, one of the most prolific young managers that I've ever heard. Uh, like really great with with wordplay, which you just heard. Um, in today's episode, um, we're just going to kind of be riffing. I'm going to smoke a lot of weed and we're going to laugh and hopefully uh, make a couple of white people cry. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's make white people cry. Yeah. Today. Yeah. <laughs> um, the um, rest of them. So you were having a great discussion before we started yeah. recording while I was prepping and all that other stuff because mm -hmm. I am a pothead. Um, uh, we were talking about like just time. So let's start off where you and I met. Yeah. Um, you want to going to tell your side your perspective so we i just remember after i dropped out of college i was like you know it's the rest of my life i might as well you know join wrestling like i kind of wanted to do as a kid and i just happened to find uh ufw and you know i joined in and at that time i was a different person and the main thing about me was being my visual impairment. I was legally blind. So I took the whole thing of enhance who you are by 10 to, for, to make who you are in the wrestling ring. And I decided, well, I'll just be a, a blind person then. And yeah. I came up with a bunch of things to use it. And the thing that I remember a lot from that was this moment in, it was in the, the second dojo when we had moved and 
I was cutting a promo. We were doing a practice promo, and I had heard just before you started, you and Mike were talking just sort of outside, and I just like, okay, they're talking. I'm about to cut my promo. I'm going to make them listen. And I did this like pseudo religious type of deal that I was, I was singing Amazing Grace that you know was blind, but now I see because I have this other person with me. And I was just like, and I remember you and like, I legit halfway through it, heard you stop talking. It's like, yeah, we stopped talking and we started walking back towards the door. Cause we were like, who the fuck yeah. is that? That's amazing. And then when I turned the corner and I saw you, I didn't want you to see me watching cause I didn't want you to stop. So I just kind of like peeked around the door and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> Like, cause uh, worry, I, I want to be, it. I want to be real about this. Uh, I'm not. I'm gonna toot my own horn. I am one of the most prolific promo uh, artists in this area. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a out of the indie guys, I've I've rarely seen anybody like do what you did, and I was astounded. Yeah. So I was like, I have to know this person. <laughs> So when it was over, I kind of walked over to you. And I remember being like, Jesus Christ, yeah. that was fucking amazing. <laughs> it, it's another thing of just, I think so much of signs when I was there. Signs that this should have been a thing. I remember when you were being a heel and it's like, it was whatever the particular month was. It was, how am I supposed to boo a black trans woman like on the anniversary of Stonewall? That's not right. a thing I can do. No one else seemed to have that problem. And that should have been a sign. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, very much a sign. <laughs> it was uh, very much a sign. Yeah. So you want to tell us about like, um, I know that you've probably heard this question a whole yeah. bunch, but like it means more to me because I'm looking for the relative time periods mm-hmm. in your transition yeah. to match with mine. It actually matches up. There is a, a bit of a moment of convergence in in my yes. story of transitioning that matches with a very specific thing with with you wrestling because i remember writing it down for a line i was using for commentary um so it kind of all started july 2019 okay when i was i had like seen an image on facebook that had a bunch of different pride flags and i saw for whatever reason demi boy stuck stood out to me i was like yeah. huh you know i i always sort of feel not you know i don't exactly identify with the other system maybe i could look into that and i basically like i'm gonna try this on for a second so it it goes by a few different names uh demi boy demi man demi what's actually funny mm. is a lot of people took the line from uh, moana i'm just an ordinary demi guy <laughs> right there's a lot of demi boys who used that and that was i think they even made a shirt for it uh but i sort of realized at some point that there wasn't this sort of gray other gender that was not the the male part there it was distinctly female it was distinctly yes. there and that's when emma was born i like to think however for a short time i was by gender so and even then i was thinking it's like okay, maybe I'm sometimes a man with masculine interests, sometimes I'm a woman with feminine interests. What I really figured out eventually was that I was a woman with feminine and masculine interests. It just took a bit to get there. 
Uh, right. Like, um, did you feel supported by like any of us beforehand? Like, in other words, like, was there any trepidation about kind of telling us? Because I remember when you came in and you told me mm-hmm. and it was very like laid back. But I was like, that, that must have took a lot of like thought. And there must have a lot of thought must have been put into that. Like, sure. Mm-hmm. Like she feels comfortable around me because I'm trans. Mm-hmm. But like it still took a lot to like yeah. just come in and say that to everyone. I mean, it's part you're trans and part you know you're big it's it's a feeling of protection it's a feeling of i'm safe with this person this person isn't gonna allow other people to harm me oh that definitely wasn't happening that day like i definitely wasn't Mm -hmm. having it um i like and then you can feel free to expound like our it's vague in my memory because weed affects the memory yeah um i remember like kind of like being in the school and like you walked in and you said that you had something that you needed to tell everyone. Mm-hmm. Now, am I right? I and remember that, like, doing that was a bit later on, I think towards the start of 2020. Right. So like, yeah, yeah. just take us from but 2020. Tell us what was like, going on then. So it was around like August when I was thinking of my gender. And I specifically yeah. remember that it converged because I had written the line for when I was calling your match with Sunny Kiss. When I was like, you know, I'm, I was saying this line, it's like, you know, I'm bisexual, I'm bilingual, I'm bi-gender, but the one thing is, I won't buy the money that uh, Khan gives Sunny Kiss. You know, I won't buy his contract. That's, that's not what I'm about. Uh, and just that line, I, I don't even remember if I even used it, <laughs> but I had written that line, because that's a good one, that, that should be used. Uh, yeah. And then a few months after that it was this gradual admission of mm, it's just emma and then when i decided i was gonna start transitioning it was like do i wanna do this in front of people do i wanna every month go to a show and be slightly different and you know the there's thoughts of even what I could have potentially done with you. Uh, the line in my mind, which is probably the, that always sort of stuck to me was Tranos with an ebony maw, or in my case, an ivory maw. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. That's cool. Yeah. That's cool. Uh, like the, yeah. The, like the um... uh, announcer, the MC of destruction that is about to happen. The Right. Yeah. Right. Like the, like the Metatron. Yeah. Like, yeah, like, um, we'll get more into that, but like, um, I want to, I want to hear like, well, like, I want to ask a couple of questions first. Um, when did you know, like, when did you know that you were different? How long before? Cause none of us like come out that day and yeah. just, like understand that we're trans. It all takes us a very long time to get there. Like, so what I'm asking is like, I knew that I was different from other mm-hmm. boys and girls when I was like four. When did you know? It is a weird thing because my perspective is always going to be tilted now on those things where like for the longest time, I think I thought I just had a a fetish. I thought I was into like the forced femme stuff and it was like, oh yeah, I'll just, that's what I want to be. I just want to eventually move out of the house and have like a private room where I can do this thing I like. And what I realized now was that was 
me on the inside banging on my eggshell idiot figure it out right yeah. right so right. in we all that, have that case moment. that could have been something like when i was five when i first sort of saw something like that i think it was on like even stevens or something where i saw something was like that is like oh that's a that's a thing that i want to wear the women's stuff i want to do that stuff and it just sort of got buried under fetish until i figured it out and like what like what age was that at where like how old were you when you decided I wanna say like, what were you five. understood so at five yeah. like you thought like you felt like you had a fetish at five well i didn't know it was a fetish but it was something that interested me those like right. singular episodes of tv shows where it's like the sleepover for the girls and the guys try to like sneak up but then the girls get the one guy and they dress him up as a thing uh wow reason, like you like you were aware of that shit at five that's crazy it, I, <laughs> I would be only like the first time i was like oh that interests me and then as it goes oh. on and on and stuff starts working i keep going back to that uh. you know it's it's just that that slight thought i don't like in terms of using it as a fetish that didn't start till i was like 16 but just like the see thought, like i think it was more of a coping mechanism yes, than a fetish yes and it was kind of the thought of um i mean some stuff starts working before other things start working and it was just my dumb brain would associate it with different types of things that weren't of a sexual nature right yeah. right oh, okay yeah. okay i got it like i just wanted i wanted a little bit of clarification yeah. because like when i was around four i knew that i liked things that i wasn't supposed to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like like the whole like the what i what i felt was interpreted to me as taboo mm because other people saw it as a taboo, like playing with dolls mm. or like liking my mother's like um, jewelry or like always watching my mom do her makeup. Those things, even though they were super innocent for me, yeah. they were taboo because they were always activities that were sexualized. Yeah, yeah. And for me at four years old, I had no idea that I was like, at that point I knew that I was different. I didn't know that I was trans or mm -hmm. pansexual yet. I didn't know I was pansexual until I was like 12. Yeah. <laughs> but like I knew by 12, I knew at four that something was off about me. I knew at eight mm -hmm. that like, I definitely wasn't a boy, but I didn't have the language to tell people what I was And the language that I heard that described what I was, was very violent and derogatory. And like, I just wanted to like compare the time. I wanted to know like if that was the same thing going on in your timeline because we are far apart in yeah. age. Like I'm, I'm going to be forty two in mm -hmm. less than thirty days. So, so just cute. tell me a little bit. Like yeah, tell me a little bit more about like. Uh, let's talk about you at eight years old. At eight years old, what was like? What was going through? So, from that type of thing, I don't think for that period of time that I knew the terms of trans or at the very least when I learned about it I never thought of it in the through the lens of myself yeah it was always that that's some other people and maybe to, to some effect my father did work in a jail so if there were 
things I may have heard, it was the, it was not in a positive light. Yeah. Um, right. I'm not going to get into my relationship with my father. That is very complicated. Yeah, we don't. We yeah, don't. we're good. But yeah. we don't have in the sense that. of the point of just, I never saw it as myself. I was just, I liked wanting to dress up like a girl and it wasn't seen it wasn't something that i figured out could be like a life thing and it wasn't something i shared with other kids i'm not right. sure if it was the sense of i thought oh everyone wants to do that or if it was i'm the only one who wants to do this and i need to keep it a secret it's like hard to remember what the thought process to that was i think it was maybe more in the sense of uh i'm the only one yeah. Yeah, like uh I, I think that's where the difference kind of was from time yeah. period to time period because in my time period it was made very rel uh, like very clear and transparent to us uh that feeling that way was an abnormality. Mm -hmm. And uh, when you tried to talk to adults about it it was always sexualized and then demonized. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, I went through uh like a a, a small cross dresser phase, yeah. but I was shamed for wanting to do it. Yeah. Like, because I had been, like, caught a couple times, like, wearing my mom's shoes. Yeah, or, there's like... tons of stories I remember of people getting caught in that type of thing. Yeah. Uh, I'll admit, I, I snuck, it wasn't my mother, it was my sister, uh, slightly older sister, but I never got caught with anything. Uh, it is kind of, you know, it's, it's almost, when I look at it, it's the experience of, having things not talked about uh, that you know when people talk about the florida bill when it's just there when there's no coverage of it the feelings are still felt but they are unexplainable to the child right yeah. right right because i think I, I i think i went through that phase um with a lot of shame being carried mm -hmm. upon me because of the outside world. And I thought as time progressed that it would get better, but like by the time it got to your timeline, mm -hmm. it was a little better, but the stigma was still there for both yeah. things. All right, so in your time, since you come out, mm -hmm. tell me how you feel now. Like, like, is there a difference in how you felt? Did you experience dysphoria? There was definitely some dysphoria body-wise. I remember feeling like accidentally looking in the mirror is like, okay, I have to shower in the dark forever now, or at least until I would get my uh, meds, uh, which the other thing to that is around the end of 2019, I met with the therapist to start mm -hmm. getting on the process of getting the, the meds. We were supposed to have our last meeting when she gives me the letter to give to my endocrinologist to get my meds and then COVID happened. So I had to wait an additional like three or four months before it finally came around. And that time when I know this is what I'm waiting for the changes in my body, but I can't get there yet. There was some dysphoria. I haven't felt much in a social sense. Uh, you know, I yeah. feel, you know, there's, there was a feeling of 
wanting more sort of cis women friends sort of wanting to be accepted in that but i never really felt like i had like i've i don't feel like i've experienced a rejection because of that ah that's a huge difference yeah. in our timelines yeah. <laughs> um there, there's a there's a huge difference there and i'm, I'm glad that that's what you're experiencing mm-hmm. i'm like i'm happy to hear that because like that is not the experience of everyone yeah um I still uh, lack a lot of feminine friends, mm-hmm. like like femme friends. Um, I have a few. I have my sister. I have um, my friend Danny. I have well, my other friend Danny, mm-hmm. and uh, that's really like the female representation yeah. that's kind of swirling around in my life now. So, like, there's like, have there been instances where like you've went in somewhere and it, you felt like it was a little dangerous and has any of that stuff happened to you? Like what's actually kind of, it's almost like I feel like bad to the level of privilege where things like when I went to beauty school, when I first, okay. because I recently started that around the beginning of May, things mm. like for whatever reason, I just want to say, I'm trans like I almost I don't want to run the risk of I don't say it they find out for some reason and they feel like I lied to them or they start hating me so it's almost like I'll get it out and if they hate me they hate me and I can deal with wait a minute that so they don't know you're me. trans yet what so what wait a minute I'm, I'm I don't want to make sure I'm not getting confused so you're enrolled in the school already yeah right? yes and so this it's is like beforehand. First day like, of class, talking about things, and I just to say, I like sort of telling like stories. And it's like I transitioned a few months or a few years ago, and okay. this is who I am. And it was the moment of why did I just say that? I didn't have to say that, but it's also a sense of me not knowing how well I pass or if I pass. It's and that's of course the dysphoria talking. Um, yeah like yeah like you don't have to pass mm-hmm. like we don't have to pass as trans people yeah. um passing privilege is a thing but also uh passing is kind of forced upon us yes that because yeah. it's it's a it's an avenue used like you don't look enough like a woman mm-hmm. you should get surgeries and then when they get mad at you well you need surgeries to look like a woman and there's well, so you, much you misogyny rooted in that of what does right. a woman look like Right. I mean, exactly. Especially when you start throwing in picos, and I mean, some women have facial hair. Some women have do not have the ability to have beards. Some women a bunch of things with that. Right, and like, there's no standardized look for mm-hmm. women. Women yeah. look like all all kinds of things. Yeah. So, like, passing privilege aside, like, I, I've had instances where like. I had to, like, when I came back to wrestling, like, I kind of, during one of my matches, had to, like, tell everyone in the middle of a match that I was a trans person and that I deserved Mm -hmm. to be treated like a human being. Yeah. And that that when I'm in the ring, like, worrying about me being trans. I was pretty sure I was in the audience that night. I remember hearing that. Yeah, like, do you remember that match? Like, Icon was, like, um, he said some derogatory stuff about me that night. Yeah. And then he, like, pulled my wig off. And everybody laughed, and I I snapped and decided I was going to just I'm going to declare that I'm trans and that that's an okay thing to be, and I'm not going to be disrespected for it by yeah. anyone. And like, I'm I'm so glad that those kind of issues 
are becoming null and void for for some but i just wish it would hurry up for the rest yeah, of us yeah. because like in relative like talking about time we talked about like mm-hmm. um the aids epidemic like what you know about it and what you've researched about it and like me living mm-hmm. in that time period like it's vastly uh it's vastly different now mm-hmm. like um having hiv isn't a death sentence mm-hmm. Uh, it's still widely regarded as a uh, LGBTQIA uh, disease. It's not. Yeah. Everyone can get HIV, um, but it's still regarded that way. But the treatment for queer people in my time period was much different. Yeah. You you say it's still regarded, of it, but like when I was coming up through school, that it was not talked about like that. When I went to a health class, it wasn't talked about like that. Then again, it's also they don't teach. There was this time in the 80s where the Republicans just uh, sat on their hands and allowed hundreds of thousands. What was the, the figure? It, it, was, it was at least at least a million people. Le- uh, you know, million people to just die because they felt that the right people were dying. Right. It was a just well they don't teach you in in school was that in the eighties, um, when HIV first hit, it was demonized and it criminalized the people. Uh, the latest example of that is um Donald Trump standing on a stage and calling COVID the China virus. Mm. Well, but I, back I think, in the eighties in the eighties, HIV I think MGT is actually trying to bring up some AIDS fervor again with uh, I think it's like the monkeypox thing. they yeah, think, same thing. And they Marjorie Taylor Greene is trying to do more. It's a it's a Republican tactic, but in the eighties, the tactic was instead of it being like a monkey virus or a China virus, mm-hmm. HIV was called GRID. Yes, it was I, called that, yeah. gay retroimmuno disease, mm-hmm. and that's what they called it at first mm-hmm. because they said only gay people are getting it. Yeah. Primarily, only gay men were getting it. And that wasn't the truth at the time. And then there was the moment of, oh, no, the straight people are catching it. And Nancy Reagan got touched by a gay person and everyone's clutching their pearls all of a sudden. Yeah, that's definitely what it was. That's definitely what it was. But at one point, there was um, lots of churches saying that the exactly the right people are mm-hmm. dying. This isn't a disease that affects us. We shouldn't worry about it. There was limited research on it. There was limited funding looking into saving anyone until large groups of celebrity heterosexual mm-hmm. men started getting it. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that because, because with not learning about it through schools as how it was used politically, mm-hmm. almost in a sense, learning about it, and it's like more thinking of Magic Johnson. What, from your perspective, the perspective of, sort of your generation, is sort of seen from like what happened with Magic Johnson. So when Magic Johnson came out and told everybody that he had HIV, he was demonized for it. Mm-hmm. I remember like he played a basketball game after saying it, and it was like the most watched Lakers game in history because everybody was afraid he was going to sweat or bleed or that he was going to like cough and everyone on the basketball court was going to get HIV. But even in that right, in that sense, we weren't talking. We talked about Magic Johnson having HIV, but we didn't talk about like state representatives getting HIV. We didn't talk about all the judges who got HIV. We didn't talk about Republican leadership at the time that got HIV. And that's what pushed for all the 
oh, now we're going to start researching it. Now we're yeah. now it's an epidemic. Like it always has to affect one group of people mm-hmm. first before it's called an epidemic. And even in this time period, if we fast forward to this time period, in this time period, we started needing a cure more because the people who were saying that it wasn't real were the ones dying from it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in the 80s, when uh, when the communities were crying out for help for HIV, they were like, hey, if you got it, you're gay. Goodbye. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, there's an island mm-hmm. off of the shores of New York where they used to just drop off bodies. There's no gravestones out there. You have to catch a ferry to go out there to see your loved one. And for a while, it was forbidden because they thought, like, we can't put these people in the ground with other bodies because they have a sin disease. Like, it turned into, like, the the, the, the 1300s and yeah. when HIV came. It, like, everybody was like, don't touch that person. And But when COVID came, there was none of that. There was It was an exact opposite. It was like, oh, it's not real. Back then, we believed in the Bible and we believed in plagues. And now we don't believe in science. So time really didn't change yeah. that much. But as long as the right people are dying, we're not going to do the work that we need to do. And that's generally what happened regarding that. But like I grew up during that epidemic. Magic Johnson was a hero to me. And when he got HIV, it didn't change that for me because I I had Mm -hmm. compassion about a person who was on a court and was now different from everybody else. Like I knew what that felt like because I had to hide because I was different Mm -hmm. from everybody else. And at the same time, it kind of hit differently because I got to watch like people in, in in my neighborhood, in my community. I got to watch how uh, HIV ran rampant in the black neighborhoods mm. and no one really cared. Like people were dying of HIV all the time and you had to have money to afford the medications to keep you alive long. Mm-hmm. Like, like, and now like HIV can be taken care of with a pill where it makes yep. you undetectable. But in the 80s, there was no such thing yeah. because nobody was looking for it. Nobody was trying to make like any strides in HIV until like a large group of LGBT people, had, Q people had already died. Mm-hmm. There's literally multiple people in multiple houses, multiple neighborhoods just dying from this disease. Mm-hmm. And, and they weren't given dignity because we believed that it was a queer disease. Yeah. And it's sort of interesting, like hearing all of that, that's the perspective that I, I've learned, but as I mentioned, like before, not learning about the political things, once I realized what community I was in, when I started learning about it, the general, and I'll admit it's more of a selfish perspective that I had, but it's the personal one, was what I thought was the loss of a generation of mentors, a loss of people who could have been working for the community and putting things forward and putting together resources and you know maybe how many of them would have made amazing stories how many of them would have maybe run for office how many of them would have created community physical community places that was that was also the way it was looked at in the 80s it was like oh they're they're dying so it's going to be less of a fight Mm. Because remember, we were still we were still fighting for rights in the yeah, 80s. Yeah. We were still fighting to be able to have jobs and own businesses mm-hmm. and be safe in the streets back then. And even though I was really young, I got to watch the community and how they were treated. They were criminalized, demonized, uh, isolated. Like it was legal for a, a very long time just to like not give a job to a gay person. 
let alone a trans person. Mm -hmm. Trans people had to like live underground. And that's what gay world was back in the eighties. And gay world kind of still has to exist because for queer people of color, the community is not as inviting. Mm -hmm. It's not as encompassing or right. Cause what all the freedoms that we currently have as a community came at the backs of black trans women Mm -hmm. and black trans women are still treated like garbage in the community. Mm Mm-hmm. Trans women in general are treated like garbage, but like more so like trans women of color Mm -hmm. are shit on by the community. So what you saying, you realized what part of the community, which community you were in, what has been your experience with the community so far? I mean, in general, I feel like I'm in a very privileged side of the community. You know, um, obviously being white, there's a major factor of that. But at the same time, it's, for me, acknowledging the intersections of that privilege and some of the things that are no longer privileged and finding the right ways of using that. Like, I still am a big believer, or at least in trying to attempt to use my privilege to help people. That's, like, the thing that I always took from the whole privilege idea was, like, I can use this. Can I talk to a police officer to almost talk them down if they're in a, a situation it's like or let them know there is a white person here like yeah. you can't kill this person here there's a white person here i mean right yeah i mean it's learning how to it's learning to, like so navigating uh the community has uh somehow enlightened you to the plight yes. of others well, I mean that's that's a great takeaway because that doesn't happen to every queer person. Yeah. Um, uh, message: Queer people stop fighting amongst yourselves. <laughs> message: um, uh, Hold on, well, since we were in this message mood, I want that to marinate. So before we go any further, uh, this is the part of the show you already know is about to happen. Um, to my fans, if you hear click click cough cough, fucking be an adult about it. I smoke a lot of marijuana, y'all. So we're gonna get into this granddaddy purple real quick. And I'll be right back. Hold on a second. All right. This is for uh, this is for Emma. <laughs> Crazy hit. <laughs> Crazy hit. Describe. <laughs> uh, <the> <laughs> Uh, smooth. Mm. It tastes smooth. <laughs> oh God! Yeah, that was awesome. All right, now uh, hopefully that message, that message sank in while I was coughing mm-hmm. to death. The message was: uh, queer people, stop fighting amongst yourself, please. Um, they're killing us out here. Stop fighting amongst yourself. Um. So, let's talk about like how life has changed for you. Uh, I noticed that you had to take some time away from wrestling. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular reason why you chose to take time away from wrestling? It was more just the thought of, I don't want to change in front of people. Okay. But as I realize now with hearing from you, it was probably a good choice that I did. Like that this was though, obviously there's, better strength in numbers yeah it still wouldn't have been the best environment 
Right, 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 right. Yeah. Uh, relative, you guys have heard Wrestlers Woe. It's one of my episodes. Check it out on Spotify. Yeah. Uh, plug. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, like my um, my I don't I didn't want my experience to rub off on you, but like yeah, like being totally honest about my return to wrestling after coming out as trans, like I felt the same thing. Like I had to leave wrestling because when I came out as trans, it wasn't this like phony lovey dovey brotherhood mm -hmm. that everyone acts like it is now. Yeah, shots at the wrestling community. This brotherhood shit is yeah. fake. No. Um. <laughs> uh, uh, it was a it was a very different locker room than than what you came up in. Mm -hmm. What I came up in was like the word faggot was used every other word. Uh, Tranny was thrown around ooh. very easily. We also had to endure lots of like low key racist comments all the time. Um, racist bookings. The the gossip was always like, "Who's gay?" That was always the gossip. Which wrestler did some gay shit in a room full of dudes covered in baby oil? <laughs> talking about gay shit and it, it's weird you mentioned that because just from the change of the generation now it's i like the, the state where it's like the kids are calling a bunch of things gay again but they mean it in a good way sort of yeah sometimes i mean i've in a sense pitched wrestling to some gay friends as like yes this is gonna be two big must this is gonna be two hunks in very little clothes, ripping and grappling, or even well, the, that's, that's wishful. And there is even like with some major stars, there's there's definitely some appeal. I mean, I look at like Rhea Rip, how, how Rhea Rip pins people. That's that's a market attraction, but at the same time, it's just not a good like. So much of the community is not supportive enough. The wrestling community is really not. Yeah. Uh, a safe space for them. Like, I, I don't know. You and me never got a chance to really talk about it, but there was a show last year that was like outside. And like, I had a lot of queer people, like queer fans show up to that show. And I think it was JC money's return. Me and JC money were supposed to wrestle in a cage. And, um, the wrestling fans called me every derogatory thing that you could call a person. Mm -hmm. And my, queer friends and fans who were in the crowd got to hear that and they felt very uncomfortable yeah. about coming back and i don't blame them like i have to endure that kind of shit because it's kind of my job mm -hmm. they don't have to pay yeah. to endure that shit like i'm and the wrestling community the wrestling community is it's, it's very phony and performative mm -hmm. about where it is progression wise it's very phony because like I get I, I there's a blatant difference in how I'm treated, and I don't know if you've experienced that. Like not even on a wrestling aspect, but like has the has the perception of you changed for people in a way that's very positive, or has uh, or have you had to deal with a lot of microaggressions? It's been pretty positive, I think, other than little things with family members learning which they did learn and get better at there hasn't really been much but part of that i think is because i've i've cloistered myself a little i don't really go out i never really did before i and i left wrestling so there's not a ton i'm doing with other people for those microaggressions to sort of come up and but at the same time i almost feel that that's well i don't want to say that it's, it's a bad thing that I've sort of been protected, but I also think it's like, 
if things like that were said to me, I'm remembering a certain time. It was you were wrestling. Can't remember who it was. Blonde guy. Pretty sure he was gay. Uh, Nicometti. What? Uh, Anthony Nicometti. That could, that could have been. And Anthony Gaines. called him something, and he attacked the the guy. Like oh no, what happened in that situation is the guy was yelling slurs at me mm-hmm. the whole match. And then when Nicometti and me hugged at the end of the match, he knew Nicometti was queer and I was queer. So he said something that was really fucked up about me and like Nicometti was like, that's it. And he slid out of the ring and he slapped the shit out of dude. Yeah. And we need more of that energy yes. in 2022. Will Smith stole Anthony Gaines' gimmick. For that, and I just remember him coming back and trying to piece together what happened from talking to other people. Yo, he slapped the shit yeah. out of that dude. I would not be ready to hear the level of things that you're able to, you're prepared for. I think I, I'm not prepared for them ever. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, it, it's, I, I, only, I have to I deal with it. Like, I, I would probably slap some people. <laughs> probably. Yeah. I, I, I have to endure. So, like, you notice that, like, Anthony smacked the guy and I didn't. Cause if I would have slapped mm-hmm. him, it would have been a different story. Yeah. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, as a trans woman of color, I have to navigate the world a lot differently because, I believe me, I have the skill and or uh, uh, will to slap the shit out of a lot of people. And I don't because it just looks worse on me. I absolutely believe you. I have to like I have to take that kind of shit every day on the chin and it gets very fucking frustrating and you end up walking around kind of upset all the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm super glad that there's not a lot of people experiencing that. But I I do want to shed a light on that's what my perspective is. Mm -hmm. My perspective is not going to be everyone's perspective. But like what I'm going through as a trans person, an elder trans person Mm -hmm. of color at 42, um, is that like I I am now treated a lot different than I was when I pretended to be someone I hated. Like I actively pretended to be someone else for years and I'm finding out that people care more about that than, than yeah. the real me. And yeah, that, that's been pretty fucking shitty. And that's the huge jump from my timeline to your timeline. Like things are a lot more accessible. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are, some people are a lot more willing to listen, but I, I want to warn everybody that our timelines are starting to converge mm-hmm. uh, because everyone who speaks so progressively about like us existing are not in support of helping us stop the things that are trying to put us back to my timeline. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. uh, like a heads up to your generation is we lived through this before. Yes. Yeah. What's happening right now with all these legislations and the banning of us being spoken about mm-hmm. all of that shit existed in the eighties. They're just trying to put us back into the eighties. Yeah. Which is why in the 80s is when they killed the most of us, which is why I feel it's very important to have a mentor in the community to have that. I see you as a mentor that I have this person who has been through this stuff who can make sure I know when I got to start, you know, for me, using my privilege to fight as hard as I can for the part of me that's not privileged and for everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Like, um, it's, uh, it has been amazing, um, having you on. I will definitely have you back on very soon. Um, so before we go, is there anything you want to say to the fans? Anything you want to plug? Stuff that you're doing now? Yeah. I actually, I came up with a little thing at the end for you, even. I'm like, 
get right. She is Kamraeem Aline Jarrell. Say that shit with your whole chest or I will find you, bind you, tie you to a pole and break your fingers to splinters, throw you in a hole until you wake up naked, clawing at the ceiling of your grave. Well, shit. You, you heard her. You heard her. This has been Trenos and the lived experience, the show that used to snort pixie sticks. Bye.